0: Thank you and enjoy today's message.
1: Hey everybody, trust you are well. I want to talk to you a little bit today about the danger of a common narrative. Now you may think that having a common narrative, uh, we might use other terms, you might use singing from the same song sheet or reading from the same book uh, or seeing things the same way, saying things the same way, you might think that that's a a very positive and good space to be in. But I would suggest to you that if you look at history, it's exactly that scenario that has created the biggest problems among nations and communities uh, because the, the transforming interaction within that of question and conversation has been suppressed so that everybody easily comes under uh, some kind of manipulation and control. I hate it in the history of uh, the world, I hate it in the history of the church and I want to talk a little bit about that um, today. Um, I have to be honest, I have been really struggling even just to pull together my thoughts and my intents to to talk to you because so many so many things that I'm wrestling with. You see, I, I spent my whole working life <clears throat> and career uh, in a particular space and a particular frame of where right from the very earliest days I was called upon to find beyond the obvious why a thing wasn't working, couldn't work, was developing a problem. So uh, as I worked through my... Um, career and uh, finished up uh, in my secular job working for the Chief Civil Engineer of British Rail Engineering. He was my boss. Uh, My whole job was to see beyond the obvious, to to look beyond the evident, to to see where flaws and failures were. Now, uh, I don't think that's how I am with people Uh, being a fault finder looking for flaws, but it certainly is in terms of structures and systems. Um, That is certainly where my mind and heart still go. So all the way through my career in engineering, uh, right through into becoming, um, you know, the leader of a uh, a, uh, a church community in ministry, uh, my mind and attitude has always worked that same way that I'm always wanting to look beyond the obvious. I want to see what's going on behind the scenes. I want to see where a thing may lead so we might do something about it before it gets there. And uh, so the current situation has been a nightmare for me because as I look at facts and figures and what's presented, I I see it in the same way I used to see the huge workshop complexes that I was responsible for, which were 150 years old, and uh, all the having to s- check on those systems and buildings that, uh, that they were secure and sound and, and my job was to find where they might not be or where they weren't. So, so imagine what happens to me then going into ministry. I've, I've looked at the Bible and doctrine and, uh, and uh, the church's message in the same way. Where I have to look into and examine and dismantle and take apart and have a look, um, and so because I've got that kind of mind and attitude, imagine what it does to me. For example, when I see on TV the the recorded death count for COVID nineteen and see the words underneath, deaths for any reason within twenty eight days of a positive test, so you can do, imagine what that does to me. I think, okay, so if, and, and, and they've they've revised that down. It used to be deaths for any reason from a positive test were registered as a COVID death. So imagine uh, what it does for me when I read uh, things like that. So, you know, if, if you get tested positive for COVID uh, and then three weeks later you get run over by a bus, your death gets registered as a COVID death. Now, imagine what that does to me and how it raises questions about the narrative that is being released. And if there are questions about the narrative being released, there are questions about everything associated with the narrative. And so I found myself really struggling um, in in those uh, areas. And, um, you know, perhaps some of the things I say might help you get a little insight to me, but maybe also to give you some understanding of why I think that the common narrative is dangerous. It's also interesting, probably one of the things that got in my thinking as well, was that uh, the last message I released uh, a week and a half ago uh, on three little words and the mischief associated with them or connected with them created a minor backlash uh, in that uh, that's related to the same thing because I questioned uh, within my talk the translation of the English words from Greek that we have as hell, church and gospel while illustrating and showing that they're not good words to translate from the original boy. you you just would not some of you wouldn't want to read some of the things I've heard and uh, and read. Um, you know and in, incidentally, um, F off you F in, TWAT, uh, go away are not the way that that mature people talk who want to truly engage in the process of conversation or interaction or education. But that's the kind of thing uh, that I've had to deal with in the last uh, week. So it's been fun and uh, also interesting to try and respond in loving and kind ways that help people into that truth. During that, I came across something that I think is worth sharing. It's a poem by a guy called Sam Walter Foss, who um, lived from 1858 to 1911, so it dates back there, and it's called The Calf Path. So let me read it to you. One day, through the primeval wood, a calf walked home, as good calves should, but made a trail all bent askew, a crooked trail, as all calves do. Since then three hundred years have fled and I infer the calf is dead but still he left behind his trail and thereby hangs my moral tale. The trail was taken up next day by a lone dog that passed that way and then a wise bellwether sheep pursued the trail, o'er vale and steep and drew the flock behind him too as good bellwethers always do. And from that day, o'er hill and glade, through those old woods a path was made. And many men wound in and out and dodged and turned and bent about and uttered words of righteous wrath because t'was such a crooked path. But still they followed, do not laugh, the first migration of that calf. And through this winding woodway stalked because he wobbled when he walked. This forest path became a lane that bent and turned and turned again. This crooked lane became a road where many a poor horse with his load toiled on beneath the burning sun and travelled some three miles in one, and thus a century and a half they trod the footsteps of that calf. The years passed on in swiftness fleet. The road became a village street, and this before men were aware a city's crowded thoroughfare, and soon the central street was this of a renowned metropolis. And men two centuries and a half trod in the footsteps of that calf. Each day a hundred thousand rout followed that zigzag calf about. And o'er his crooked journey went the traffic of a continent. A hundred thousand men were led by one calf near three centuries dead. They follow still his crooked way and lose one hundred years a day. For thus such reverence is lent. To well established precedent. A moral lesson this might teach, where I ordained and called to preach for men are prone to go it blind along the calf paths of the mind, and work away from sun to sun to do what other men have done. They follow in the beaten track, and out and in and forth and back, and still their devious course pursue to keep the path. Others do; They keep the path a sacred groove Along which all their lives they move But how the wise old wood gods laugh We saw the first primeval calf Ah, many things this tale might teach But I am not ordained to preach Well, the last bit's not true Because I am ordained to preach But what a great, great Uh, Poems. It's, It's so easy to get trapped in ways of thinking, which have been created by and adopted from information that if we just stopped and thought about its source and origins, we would not embrace with the same confidence and arrogance. As I listened or read those comments about my talk last week, I had one thing going through my mind, if only they'd listened. It was very obvious, very evident, that the majority of those who were expressing themselves in such uh, such um, eloquent French had never even bothered to take the time to listen to the talk. They had seen just <coughs> the statement about mischief or just the statement about the words, and then felt obliged and qualified to comment on the subject matter and uh, well comment on the subject matter would be would be a very generous way to abuse the the vehicle of the subject matter without ever taking the time to truly look into the thing and to listen listen one of the great problems that that's no pun intended listen one of the great problems is that we do not listen closely enough you know Jesus himself said, having ears, you do not hear, and having eyes, you do not see. And he said one of the reasons is that you've done that to yourself, because if you were to see beyond the common, if you were to hear beyond the common, then he said you might be converted, you might have to change, you might have to accept and embrace something different to the common view. We use a phrase uh, here at our community at Q, and you'll you'll hear it often. And it's the phrase common narrative. Common narrative. What we mean by this is that the narrative developed by a group or groups regarding a subject or theme that has become commonly held. Sorry, let me say that a little clearer. I made a right mess of that. So let me me re-attempt to say that. What we mean by that is the narrative developed by a group or groups regarding a subject or theme that has become commonly held, whether it is actually right or trustworthy, got lost somewhere along the path of everybody thinks this or who are you to question it. See, whether it's actually right or trustworthy gets lost somewhere along the path because the common narrative says, well, Everybody obviously thinks this. Or, who are you to question it? But just because a thing is common doesn't make it accurate or even true. There's one phrase I loved. I saw it uh, on Facebook a couple of years or so ago. And it helped me as uh, as a preacher, teacher, church leader. And it said this. The only accurate theology is the one that accepts it might not be accurate. And I tell you, if we would live that life that way, yes, it creates certain insecurities, but what it does, it opens the heart and the spirit to stop us making something common that may not even be right or true. The development of the common narratives is one of the best ways to control people. Especially if you can root it in fear And the offer of, I'll put a word here, eternal security. See, whether it's COVID-19 or whatever, (laughs) if you can develop a common narrative, you can control people. And if you can root it in fear and offer security, people will buy that common narrative and potentially will never challenge it. Even though for somebody like me who looks at the detail being given says, hang on a minute, this doesn't add up. Now, in case you think I'm just focusing on that one subject, let me tell you where I am in myself. I would classify myself as a Christian with a small c. The reason I classify myself as a Christian with a small c, because they have so, so, so many problems and questions with so much that he's just classified under the general banner of Christian. One of the great problems of of addressing that particular issue in the religious field is that there are over 30,000 denominations worldwide and growing within what people would call the Christian community. But then each one will tell you that they have the correct interpretation of the Bible. Each one will tell you that they have an experience of God that the others perhaps don't have or certainly don't have to the degree they have. Or the expression, nobody else is getting it right, but we are. And I I struggle with that because, you know, when people will say one of the common phrases where I was raised around, the Bible clearly says, well... Uh, 30,000 plus denominations are good evidence that the Bible doesn't clearly say, because if it was, there wouldn't be all the arguments and confusion where we're just going to create our own denomination. Listen, listen to me. I, I may be a Christian with a small C, but I am a Christ follower with a big C. I, see, it's like this. I, I think any anybody, group, system, religious a gr- religious community who has the arrogance to think that that having believed that there is in creation, in the world, in life, a source, um, a being, uh, a force, an existence that that we would use the term God from the Greek theos, a god. Right? That's that's defining his nature, not his character. If 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 there is to, to suggest that somehow a group can take that being and put that being in a box to where their presentation of the being is so accurate and so full that now that being has become encapsulated and trapped within the minuscule endeavors of human understanding and expression is foolishness to the highest degree and I will not buy it and I will not hold to that. sorry I'm moving my camera I will not get too passionate will not hold to that. So I'm a Christ follower with a big C because I do believe in the Christ and I do believe in the spirit of the Christ and I do believe what the Bible says that the the whole mystery of all this is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's another message for another time, but the Christ in all things. But what I'm trying to get get through to you is that in, in my own field, the common narrative has been developed to control people, rooted in the same thing I've talked about with what governments know you can use, political systems know you can use this. If you can root it in fear with the offer of eternal security, you will get people to engage with and buy into the common narrative. Well, like I said, I think the problem with the common narrative, you look at at the major issues in our world that lead to genocides, and infanticide and uh, despotism and uh, and and all of these things you know totalitarianism they've all come because of the of the upholding of presenting of and lack of challenge to a common narrative Then people will mostly, in that situation, defend the dogma rather than question the information. So if I can get you to accept a common narrative, you'll defend that dogma rather than question the information. In my field, that's so common. And it's happening right now. Even, you know, do I think coronavirus is real? Do I think it's a serious issue? Am I saddened, deeply saddened by... What it is creating in our world and the, the deaths that align with it. Yes, of course, I care about all that. I am. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I am not a. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I am not a denier. Um, but when you get to this position of where common narrative has taken over or been pushed. People mostly defend the dogma rather than question the information, and that, my friends, is not healthy. Especially if the word experts is thrown in there. People throw in the, oh, so you're going against the experts, or, 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 um, or, or the, uh, you know, what makes you an expert, etc. Well, listen. Uh, <laughs> It's not for everybody to throw around their qualifications because I'll tell you what, I have qualifications. I'm not going to throw them around because many people are educated beyond their intelligence. There is such a thing as intelligence to go with education and that's what produces wisdom and we have too little wisdom and we put too much weight on. If a person has an education or is educated, they're obviously wise. Well, isn't it funny? Apply that then to the... Government official that you don't like. Apply that to the country you don't think is going in the right way. Apply that to the boss who you think doesn't deal with 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 your rights. See, we we are not consistent in these things. And so the problem is that when we get that common narrative, we we tend to defend a dogma rather than the question. So we develop a dogma, uh, and then we want to defend that rather than question the information. Throwing in the experts' words, or or, or this is the other one that irritates me. Uh, Claims about the science. Okay, now let let me just vent on this a moment. There is or should not be any such thing as the science. Once a thing has become the science, and you and I have been hearing it in this crisis all the time, about we're just following the science. Well, the science would mean that everybody who engages in the discipline of science has come to exactly the same conclusion as those you are proposing and that because of that we have the science. Well, I would tell you, once we get the science, we have no science. Because the whole idea of science is the one of question and investigation that never stops and never ends. Now, are there some absolutes that we have discovered? Well, up to now we think that they are, but how many times have our absolutes in science become variables or amendable because we understood something new or discovered something less. that's why we have not had one science at one time in the world and now that's it. but it is an ongoing discipline and challenge that is interesting and exciting without which we wouldn't know much about our world today, particularly in the subatomic realm and 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 um, uh, and the space realm the universal realm I mean Medical realm, absolutely amazing. But imagine if we had at any time said, no, this is the science. And the problem is we have done that. And because of it, we have closed ourselves off for for years to what could have happened sooner because we had a dogma, right? Rather than a question of the information. So so I'm just venting that thing. There is no such a thing as the the science regarding COVID-19. There is such a thing as called science, but listen to all the science. Listen to what different people are saying. That's just my little advice practical to you. And also when people say the Bible clearly says, let's come into my field and talk to some of you. The Bible clearly says. Well, no, your group's interpretation of the text that they have is what they mean by the Bible clearly says. It does not mean that there is no other interpretation or revelation or way to understand what is being released. Okay, rant over. See, the problem is most of us have actually, either consciously or subconsciously, we have been trained to defend a dogma, not engage a conversation. So, uh, you know, I'm not being critical of you or anyone I'm talking to today. I'm not trying to be... Judgmental. I'm just saying that all of us, me me also, we've been trained to defend a dogma and not engage a conversation. So it means that we're actually not very good at having sensible and meaningful conversation. Listen, just spend five minutes on social media and you will see how whether it's a Christian, a Muslim, um, a right wing, a left wing, a conservative, a liberal, uh, a socialist, a communist, uh, a Methodist, a Baptist, you know, Pentecostal—all uh, of those groups in out. Um, you just you just look for five minutes and you'll see the whole training is to defend a dogma, not engage a conversation. And so, just like with the calf path, we get stuck. Okay. Remember what we said about the Carth Path. It's so easy to get trapped in ways of thinking which have been created and and by and adopted from information that if we just stopped and thought about its source and origins we would not embrace with the same confidence and arrogance. I'm trying to free you a little bit and uh, hopefully give you a little space to think a little more. And get away from that inner training we've had to defend a dogma. Maybe open your heart and spirit. Open your mind. Might learn something more. Okay, so let me talk about one of my heroes. The the, the Jesus story is one of kickback against the way of being and seeing. If if you would just take the time to look at this. And I don't care whether you consider yourself Christian small c, Christian large c, or non-Christian... Um, and it's interesting the word atheist uh, because you know it, it there's only a small a small gap that separates it. So if you put a gap after the "a," you get a theist. <laughs> you, you you lose the gap in the middle. You get atheist. I think that's the thinking gap that goes in the middle. Okay, so. Whether you believe this or not, whether you want to take it metaphorically, symbolically, uh, literally, uh, whatever you want, the the truth is this amazing thing that the Jesus story is one of a kickback against that of being and seeing. Okay, It's a kickback. If you just read it correctly. Jesus challenged 2,000 years of developed orthodoxy and common narrative. Now, my church friends... We're now 2,000 years on from Jesus and if Jesus felt the need to challenge 2,000 years of developed orthodoxy and common narrative then we also need to have that spirit that challenges 2,000 years of developed orthodoxy and common narrative. For most of you who think the church has always believed this and always thought that way. Again you like those people who gave me all the f words about my comments about three words that have been invented rather than being accurate to the greek and um uh um and if you would only look you'd realize it's not always believe this i mean even what most of you believe about atonement what's called penal substitutionary atonement was not even an idea until 1000 and a bit under a guy called bishop anselm of Canterbury and that was developed later by uh, John Calvin and um, and uh, Martin Luther in the 1500s but before that for the thousand years before that that was not the common belief of the church even if you look at the Apostles Creed it makes a lot of statements without without much explanation (laughs) so I'm not even getting into that and that doesn't mean I don't believe it it means that just like the, the path. If we follow the calf path, we will waste time and energy and life and we will begin to build cities on tracks that were created by calves just trying to get somewhere that they were supposed to be. For those of you, uh, for example, in America or Australia, parts of Australia, who've had the opportunity to build your cities on a grid system, uh, listen, ancient c- countries like you find in Europe and other places, it was the calf track that created the farm track, that created the village path, that created the city street, which is why our towns and cities are so windy and so difficult to get around, because you can't tell anybody, just go north for two blocks and then turn west and it's on your left. We can't do that, why? Because there's a great lesson, as as that poem writer said in this, that unfortunately with the minds and thoughts of humanity, Calf paths have been created and we've turned them into dwelling places uh, and not recognised that uh, what it was is that path was created by a calf. Would you choose a calf to design a city? Would you choose a calf or a dog or a sheep to determine the streets of your metropolis of course you wouldn't but but we have a literal parable there so don't do it in terms of belief and understanding we are we have been given the capacity to think and imagine and engage and i believe that that even the christian christian message is an ongoing message that 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 is is here's the terms the bible uses from faith to faith from glory to glory, a development, an ongoing process. Some would call it evolution, but some of you will get upset about that. So here's the Jesus who challenged 2,000 years of developed orthodoxy and common narrative. I want to tell you something, I'm committed to doing the same uh, as all reformers do uh, at all time because, because we are not just going to accept a common narrative that makes us defend a dogma without question. See, Jesus kept saying to the people, these guys, and, and they called the the uh, scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. He said to um, them one day, he said, it has been said, but I say unto you. Okay, that's the Christ spirit. It has been said, but I say unto you. There are things that have been said and we know why they have been said, but now there's something new that needs to be said from where we've moved on the journey. It's also blatantly evident when you look at this story, that he, Jesus, did not come to start another religion. I think he more came to challenge the the narrative that had become common about a revelation that should have been life-changing, but that now become one that was destructive and controlling and manipulative and not in any way what was intended. And uh, maybe that's another conversation for another day. He challenged them when they said from their Jewish roots, Abraham is our father. And we have Moses, you know, as our patriarch. And uh, I love it. Jesus says, Abraham is your father. Moses is your patriarch. In fact, I'll tell you who's your father. The devil's your father. No, that does not imply that I believe in a, a, a literal or physical being called the devil, wherever you sit on that. But the terminology would have certainly driven home the message then, listen, you think Abraham's your father, the devil's your father. In other words, you have got a degree in missing the point, people. And uh, you have created a common narrative that you now manipulate and control with. But I'm telling you, it needs to stop because the conversation now needs to open up to become a new one, an open one, one that is based in a resurrection, a death and a resurrection. So one other thing that he said, and I'll I'll shut up because I I think I've unloaded most of what I wanted to say. Jesus said these incredibly wise words one day. He said, no no man, I guess no woman, no person, puts new wine into old wineskins. So, in, in the cultural understanding of the day, wine was kept in goat skins and those goat skins were very useful because the wine would ferment within the skin and because the skin was fresh, the skin would expand with the wine as the, as the internal pressure of this living thing pressed against the sides. It would stretch to accommodate the movement wonderful picture of how we should be with with new information and new understanding new revelation but he said look no sane person uh, and listen you know what I've learned in church life being there all of my life that um that uh being bright has not always been one of the attributes uh, of leadership because Jesus said, look, nobody, nobody should put new wine in an old wineskin. And, and what has the church been guilty of doing for most of its existence from where we've understood its development? Put, trying to put new wine, new life, something that's growing and moving and developing and fermenting in an old wineskin, in an old structure, in an old mindset, in a common narrative. And he said, what happens is you'll burst the skin and then you lose both the skin and the wine and i would say actually when you get past the you get past the um, painted picture the church is actually in crisis and i think religious thinking can be as well and uh, lots of things anyway so uh, my challenge to you is be open to new wine new wine ferments new ideas ferment new information ferments And uh, if you're not going to split and fall apart and lose it all, you need a new wineskin. I think that's a lot of what this term salvation is about. It's what this transformation is about, being a soft, supple person in which truth can be absorbed in a way that as that truth ferments and as that truth expands and grows, we grow with it, okay? So last thing, um, be a pilgrim. Now the problem is the word pilgrim has been so associated with uh, religious people and religious journey and that's a little unfortunate really and also within newer traditions for example of the church it's been associated with old traditions within the church of you know people doing crazy things like Uh, you know walking up steps on their knees or you know walking a thousand miles with no shoes on over sharp rocks that kind of nonsense Uh, but listen to this just 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 try and absorb this and I think it will help you a pilgrimage is a journey often into an unknown or foreign place where a person goes in search of a new or expanded meaning about their self, others, nature or a higher good, through the experience. It can lead to a personal transformation after which the pilgrim returns to their daily life or maybe it would be better to say that pilgrimage is to be the driver of our daily life. Beware The common narrative. I love you. I'll catch you again later.
0: Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.